How you guys doing this morning? All right, good, good. Um, to, this morning we're in our second part of our two-week series called My City, My Responsibility, which is where we're talking about our God-given responsibility as Christians right, to, uh, to help others, um, help people, people around us. Now, some of you guys, maybe you're sitting there, you're like, well, what's, you know, what, what does that mean, right? It's, uh, are you telling me that, that we should, I should give all my money to the poor and I should just, you know, just unload everything? All right, that's not necessarily what I'm saying, although it's interesting that our culture... All right, people in our culture would say, no, that is 100% what you should do. And those same people are people that would never do it, right? It's always, hey, you should give all your money. I, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have as much money. It's, it's always that, which is just funny. And it's also kind of funny to me. We always think that money fixes everything, you know? Like we think money's the answer, and it's definitely not. Uh, but, uh, but Jesus taught us. That, uh, that, sure, we are to help people in need. That's, that's one of our things that we are supposed to do. Sometimes money, you know, sometimes money's the answer for that. A lot of times it's not. But the most, important, the most important thing that we can do is to help people find Jesus. Okay, so it's the most important thing. It's the most important need that people have in their life. It's a spiritual need. Um, and, and Jesus, as we look in his life and we see uh, what the Bible tells us about the way that he, he lived his life, Jesus did both. He helped their felt needs. He also helped their, their spiritual needs and, uh, and met those needs. And the Bible tells us that he went from village to village to, to town to town to town helping people. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. So first, spiritually, and then he was also healing every disease and every sickness. He was taking care of their physical needs. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. All right, it's interesting that when Jesus was doing his ministry, a lot of people don't, don't realize this. A lot of people, you know get confused about who Jesus was. We have this, I don't know, we just have this view. I don't think it's because, like, honestly, it's because of churches and pictures of Jesus where we have, like, you know, Jesus, he's wearing the long flowing hair and he's got the robe dress thing on and he, you know, there's like a dove hovering above him for some, you know, he's got that and he kind of glows a little bit. That's how we view Jesus. Sometimes he's holding the lamb, petting it, or doing whatever you would do with the lamb. I don't know. Um, uh, but that's, that's kind of how we picture it. That's not who Jesus was. All right, that's not a reality. That's not uh, a, the picture of actually who Jesus was when he lived. See, people who are nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. It's interesting because Jesus, he came as, you know, the ultimate religious leader. But he did not gravitate towards religious people. Right? He gravitated towards people like these. Right? And this is what he, he did. This is how he lived his life as Jesus was was walking around doing his thing as he was helping people physically. He was healing them and he was, he was teaching them things that they had never heard before, helping them, helping them spiritually. The Bible tells us that, that people would come from all around. Like, like It didn't take long for news to spread and people from all over, they wanted to see what Jesus was going to say next and they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next. And people would come from all around. And, uh, and one time... We had the story, the story that we're going to look at today. One time out in public, Jesus, he's out in public, he's doing his thing, and uh, Luke tells us this story in Luke chapter 10. So check this out. This is where we're going to be at today. He says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him. Okay, so this is like religious, religious leader, like religious fanatic guy, um, wealthy. He, you know, he's all about, he knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. He knows it way better than any of us. He's had books of the Bible memorized. That's this guy. And, uh, and they're in this crowd. Everybody's listening to what Jesus has to say. And he kind of stands up. He says, wait, I got a, I got a question. 
He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, think about it. All right, how many of you guys are like me and, uh, and you hate I'm not saying this is it, but you hate like useless questions. I hate just people constantly asking questions, like question after question. Anybody's just me. All right, there's a couple of you. Especially when it's questions that you've already answered. Eh, eh, no, okay. Now somebody's like, hmm, okay. Yeah, maybe you're a teacher or, you know, or maybe it's just questions that don't need to be answered. Uh, my son, um, who's three West, actually today's birthday, he's three today, he, uh, um, good for me. He, you know, survived. I'm, that's on me, all right, because I helped that along, um, thankfully. But, uh, but so, so Wes, what he'll do, anytime I tell him to do something, why? Every time. It's like, just like part of his vocabulary now. It's like one of the 10 words he knows. You know, it's just why, why, why? Hey, I want you to go downstairs. Why? I want you to go eat. Why? I want you, even I'll tell him like, like fun stuff, like uh, I want you to go play with that toy. Why? You know, it's just why, 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 why? It's just questions where you're like, you don't even care why. Why are you asking me this question? What do I say to that? Do I just ignore him? Is that good for his, like, you know, psychological? I don't know. I don't know what that does to a three-year-old uh, grown up. Even working with, I spent 10 years working with, uh, with middle school and high school students, and they would ask, I've heard every question that anybody could possibly think of. I've heard, you know, every dumb question I've heard, you know, I've answered. As some students, they, you know, they would just ask so many questions, just pepper, pepper with questions, drive me crazy. I would have to limit them. I'm say, hey, today, you know, I'm gonna, you, you're, you get five questions and you can use them however you want. And they'd usually burn through those within like, like the last, the first minute, you know. Where it's like, well, you know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me when we were gonna eat or when we were gonna get there, I'd be a very wealthy man. But, uh, but think about it. I wonder if, part of me kind of wonders, I wonder if Jesus ever got like kind of annoyed with any of these questions. But he probably didn't because he was Jesus and he's way better than me and he's got grace and I don't have as much grace as I, as I should. But of all the questions, right, that, that, anybody has, that anybody was asked, I'm sure Jesus had answered this one like a thousand times. You know what I'm talking about? Like this is, this is a question that's been around for a while. And oh, what's going on? Okay, that's weird. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, I'm still here. But of all the questions, this one has been around for a while. And it's, it's a decent question, right? Like, it's a good question. All right, what do I have to do? How do I, basically, it's, how do I get to heaven? All right, it's a question that's been around for so long. And, and, and it's, honestly, if life is so short, which it is, and if you believe in life after death, okay, you know, don't you want to, you know, don't you want to do whatever you can to make sure that, that life's going to be a good one? Isn't that somewhat important? Like if heaven and hell are real, right, don't you want to make sure you're in the heaven part, right? Like isn't that, isn't that somewhat a concern to every single one of us? That's been a concern throughout for human, you know, for, for us throughout human history. We've been trying to figure this out. And some people come up with all kinds of different answers. You know, some people have come up with like the institution of religion. Like, well, well, the answer is religion, right? And what's religion? It's this list of things you got to do, this list of do's and don'ts that you got to do to gain favor with God, to get into heaven. If you could follow this list, if you could do these things, this is what religion is, then you're good. All right, some people, they're just like, well, I don't know about all that. I just think you just got to be a good person. Like, if I'm good, I'm nice to people, right? I think generally I'm pretty good. But the question is, who gets to decide who's good? Who gets to decide what is good, right? We don't agree on that. 
Nobody perfectly agrees on that. Cultures don't even, get, don't even agree on that. Who defines good? And then there's other people who are just like, I don't know, I just uh, refuse to believe. I don't, I don't believe in all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not into that. And, uh, and the question, you know, the thing we just got to remind ourselves, is just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not true. Actually, our belief is not connected to anything, you know, to, to truth at all in that sense. See, this question matters. And it's mattered for a long time. And so uh, Jesus, as he's standing there, he's got this crowd. Everybody probably hushes down a little bit like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Probably if the guy would have just waited, he, Jesus would have answered this question, but he didn't. Uh, but uh, he says, what, Jesus asks him, he says, he turns around, he says, what is written in the law? He asked him. Like, how do you read it? Basically what Jesus does here, which is interesting, he bounces the question back to this guy. He's basically saying, hey, you're the expert. I don't know. You, you tell me. All right, next verse, the guy says, he answered, and I, my guess is that this, this, you know, he's a religious leader, he's a lawyer, um, we, we find out he's, he's an expert in the law, he probably puffs out his chest a little bit, like, ah, I was hoping you would ask Jesus, because I got the perfect answer. He says, this is what you got to do, God, Jesus, he says, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Right? He comes up with these four things. You've got you to love, you love the Lord your God. And, and all the people who are standing there, this whole crowd of Jews that are standing around, they're all like, they all know the answer to this. They're all expecting this answer. Maybe, maybe not you know, so intense, but they're all like, yeah, you need to love the Lord your God. You need to love God. Like, that's how you get to heaven. That's, that's what you got to do. We all, they, all, they all get this. And so as this guy's asking, as this guy's telling him, Jesus is telling him his answer, he's like, he's like uh, making it way more intense uh, he's kind of going above and beyond what everybody's expecting there. And then he even adds another one at the end. He says, and not just that, Jesus, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Crowd's going, whoa, this guy's good. Like, this, you know, this is, a, this is a really good guy. Everybody is there, is impressed. And, and I think Jesus smiles because this almost never happens, right, where somebody actually answers his questions correctly. Um, and Jesus says this. He says, you've answered correctly. He's like, Hey, good job. You got it. That's the right answer, he told him. He says, do this. You're good to go. All right, if you can, if you can handle that, if you, can, if you can love God perfectly, and then if you can love neighbor, your neighbor perfectly, hey, you're good, man. You nailed it. Great job. And then he turns to leave, and the guy's like, well, maybe he's thinking through this a little bit, like, wow, that wasn't... Uh, you know, I don't know, you know, that was almost too easy. And, and, he, and he, Jesus turns to leave. He's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, I got another question for you. Actually, actually, here's my real question. I was just asking, that was like a warm-up question. See, someone asking a question that, uh, that doesn't actually matter. Just to get to another question, just tell me the straight-up question, all right? And, uh, but he's like, hey, I got, you know, I, actually, I got, a, I got another question. And he, he asked him this. He says, but wanting to justify himself, he's asked Jesus. He says, okay, okay, okay. So who is my neighbor? Like, who is it? What's that consist of? And everybody in the crowd, as they're listening, they, they know this answer too. Because everybody's been taught thoroughly, all these Jews, they've been taught thoroughly the Old Testament. The Old Testament teaches them that uh, your neighbor actually literally means your people. Okay, so everybody's standing there like, well, you know, my neighbor, right, that's just, that's just the Jewish people that are around me, and, uh, and the question is, is that, is that going to be enough for Jesus? And really what this guy is doing is, is he's asking, what is the minimum amount of neighbor loving in order to get God's favor? 
Right? Okay, so who does that consist of? Because I'm not going to go outside those bounds. You know, I'm going I'm to try to stay within, within those lines. So who is my neighbor? What is the minimum amount of neighbor loving I need to do to gain God's favor to go to heaven? Right? That's, that's, that's what he's asking. I've, uh, I've taken a lot of college classes. Um, I have several uh, degrees that I don't necessarily need. And, uh, but one thing that I, that I do is uh, when I would go into a, a class, you know, you get your syllabus on the first day. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, you get there. You're all excited. No, you're not excited at all. You're dreading it like this is going to stink, right? And, uh, and you, get, you get your little syllabus. What I would do every class, I look through the syllabus and I'm like, all right, I want to know the minimum amount of work I need to put into this class to get a B, right? I don't need an A. I'm good with a B, all right? That's, that's what we think. That's, and, and I know some of you guys might be teachers like, oh, tell me that's not true. No, that's how a lot of us students think, okay? That's the reality. Um, but, uh, but that's what this guy's asking, basically. He's like, what is the minimum amount of work I got to put into loving people in order to get to heaven? Because that's what I'm going to shoot for. Like, that's, 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 my, that's my goal. And so, Jesus, I need to know a couple things. Number one, who is my neighbor and who is it that I have to love? And Jesus, he smiles at him. Because that's what Jesus did. And he, he's like, oh, perfect. I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. He says, a man was going, down the, <laughs> was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. And you know what this guy's thinking at this point in the story? Jesus starts going in the story. He's like, wow, what? This isn't what I'm asking, right? This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Like, Jesus, I asked a simple question. Why do you always do this? Don't change the subject. Like, this is what you always do. Is, you know, you, it, Whenever we ask a question, whenever us religious leaders, we ask a question, you're always answering in some, like, obscure, like, story. You give this big, long answer. Just, just answer the question. But Jesus keeps going. He says, they stripped this guy, they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead. So everybody in the crowd, they're all, they're all listening to this. There's a religious leader, he's listening to it. And he's like, okay, all right. So the Jewish guy is going down. And this road that Jesus is talking about, it's a real road, all right? Probably a lot of these people, they had traveled this road before. They had gone down this road. Maybe they're, oh, that's that road I was just down like, like a month ago, with, you know, for that. And, and so they're all picturing this in their minds. They, you know, they, they, probably most of them, they've all, they've all been there. And this road, as Jesus says, going down from Jerusalem, it's interesting because the road literally goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's like a 17-mile long road, and it drops 3,000 feet. So, so people were literally um, going down the road. And uh, this guy, this Jewish guy, he's laying in the ditch. He, you know, he, gets, he gets beat up. He gets messed up. He's laying in the ditch. He's just laying there half dead. Now, a lot of you guys know where the story, know the story, right? A lot of people, you know, you haven't been to church. Maybe you haven't been to church in like decades. Maybe it's just been, been a long time. You've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, or at least you've heard the words Good Samaritan, because it's in our culture. I remember just, uh, just a couple of months ago over the, over the summer, I was watching the news, which I hardly ever do, and, uh, and they were talking about in Toledo some like, you know, little kid, boy was helping some older people with something, or man, I, don't, I forget what he did, but it must have been really good because he made the news. And uh, they were like labeling me. He's like, hey, we got a good Samaritan here. Like it's in our culture. Like our culture likes it. Our culture likes the idea of a good Samaritan, of somebody who goes out of their way to help people. All right, this is why I think that everybody should follow Jesus because, you know, if you're into the whole good Samaritan thing, you're in the whole like, you know, we're going we're gonna to help people thing, doing good. Jesus came up with that. I mean, that's what Jesus called people to do. The whole reason why we have the term Good Samaritan in our culture is because of this story right here that Jesus told 2,000 years ago. It's his thing. 
And so he's, he's describing this guy. He's like, yeah, this guy is messed up. This guy's hurt. Actually, this guy's like on the verge of, of death. And then Jesus says, and then this priest walks by. This priest comes down the road. He's doing his thing. He sees this guy in the ditch. He actually goes to the other side of the road and keeps walking. He doesn't stop for him. Now, a priest, all right, the, a Jewish priest, I mean, these people were like, top dog religious people. Like you couldn't go higher than, than a priest. These people worked at the temple in Jerusalem. They did their thing. Um, everybody, you know, everybody looked up to them. And, um, and, and so the, this guy, everybody's looking at him. They're like, wow, you know, this guy's like varsity religious, religious dude. But he didn't stop for him. Everybody in the crowds are going, oh, okay, that's odd, but there's probably a good reason. He's probably on his way to do something, you know, something. And then Jesus is like, and then this other guy comes down the road. He's also a Jewish guy. He's a, he's a Levite. Now, for us, we don't necessarily, you know, that doesn't mean anything. But for them, a Levite, this is like, um, this is like JV priest, okay? If you know what I'm talking about. This is, he's like the, you know, he, they were religious leaders. Everybody looked up to them as well. But they were JV. He was, you know, he was the, the guy, the, the JV the JV priest that would never get called up to varsity. you like, remember that guy? All right? That's what this guy is. All right? And, uh, and so he comes, and it's something that everybody looks up to, and he goes to the other side of the road. He keeps walking. Doesn't stop for his fellow Jewish guy, fellow Jewish man. So these two religious leaders, they pass by. They're not loving this Jewish man. They're not loving their neighbor like they're supposed to. And the story's probably with this crowd. We can't really sense it because we're not in that culture, but probably amongst this crowd, it's getting a little awkward. Because everybody's going, oh, okay, he's talking to a religious leader. This guy's probably even a Levite, all right, one of these guys. And he's like, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, these guys didn't stop. They didn't love right. They didn't love their neighbor like they were supposed to. It's getting awkward. And, and then things take a turn for the worse and get crazy. And Jesus, he starts shaking things up, and he starts messing with their tradition. He says this, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Now, the thing we got to understand is the Samaritans and Jews hated each other. All right, actually, at this point, as Jesus is telling the story, all right, Samaritans and Jews, they've hated each other for like over a thousand years. That's a pretty strong level of hate, right? All right, they killed each other. They, they didn't like each other. They didn't spend time with each other at all. Uh, Samaritans were like half, Jew what had happened, you know, a thousand years before is Samaritans were like half Jewish people that had intermarried with, with some of the other pagan people of the land and kind of formed their own, their own group, their own race in a sense. And so uh, Jews looked down on Samaritans, viewing them as like half-breed Jewish people. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. Samaritans refused to worship God like the Jews did. So they came over, they started, they made their own temple, they made their own almost religion, so they didn't have to share that with the Jews. And, um, and they, just, they just hated each other. Actually, Jews, Samaria was kind of right smack dab in the middle. And Jews, if they were going to the other side of Samaria, what they would do, instead of traveling through the land of Samaria, where all these Samaritans lived, they would take a six-day bypass around Samaria so they wouldn't have to travel through it. Really, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they didn't want to be like defiled or get dirty by being around Samaritans because Samaritans they viewed as dirty people. But also, it was dangerous because Samaritans would have no problem killing a Jew. All right, or robbing him. Like kind of maybe what happened this time. Actually, as these crowders listening to the story, they're probably viewing the people that beat this guy up originally. Probably a lot of them are going, oh yeah, those are probably Samaritans doing that because that's what they would do. And so Jesus, he shakes things up here. 
He's like, no, the, the priest goes by, the Levite goes by, and then the Samaritan goes by, but he stops. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. It says he went over to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine, and then he put him on his own animal, meaning the Samaritan is walking and the Jewish guy is riding his animal. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii money, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, hey, take care of them. And, you know, when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra, you know, if, you, if this isn't enough, I'll, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra, you know, it might, it might cost. And so Jesus, as he's telling the story, he's just piling on, piling on, piling on. First, the guy would stop. That would never happen. A Samaritan would never stop for a Jewish man, never, never bandage up his wounds. Even a Samaritan would never do that. A Samaritan would never put him on his own animal while he has to walk. That would never happen. A Samaritan would never take him, take him to town to take care of him and then take care of him for a night and then pay money to have him take care, to have him cared for beyond that. I mean, everybody who's sitting there, again, we can't necessarily understand it all because we're, you know, 2,000 years later. But everybody who is standing and listening to the story, they are freaking out because they're going, no way, that would never happen. That is impossible. They cannot believe it. These, these people are stunned. The, law, the, the religious leader, he is completely stunned because what Jesus is doing is he is redefining neighbor. That's not what they were taught. That's not what, they've, what they live by. He's saying, neighbor, no, neighbor is beyond culture, it's beyond race, it's beyond religion, it's beyond belief. And the crowd can't believe it, and they are stunned. And so after the story, and Jesus asks, um, asks the, he turns to the guy, and he says, he asks him a question, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He's like, which guy's the neighbor here? The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan? And the guy says, the one who showed mercy to him. Notice what the guy does. He can't even say the word Samaritan. Right? He's not saying, oh, the guy, the Samaritan who, you know, bandaged him and, and spent money on him and, and took care of him and rescued him. He doesn't, he doesn't say any of that. He's like, oh, I don't know, the one guy who did the one thing. That guy, he's, you know, he's the one who was the neighbor. And he says, then Jesus told him, he says, go and do the same. Probably at this point, the guy regrets asking Jesus the question, all right? It's the question that people have asked for a long time. How do I get to heaven? All right, how do I get there? And it's actually kind of the wrong question, but he says, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus' answer is basically, hey, you need to love God with everything you can. And you need to love people. That's how you get there. And, and, and who, who's my neighbor? It's just, it's just everyone. See, we live in a world where we are all about the idea of loving people, which is, which is in a sense good, but the way we do that is so messed up and so corrupt. See, we live in a culture that says, that teaches us, even from when we're little kids, that, hey, you got to stand for something. Hey, you need to stand up for what you believe. You need to stand up for what you feel. You need to stand up for what's right. All right, we need to stand up for social justice and, and this and that. And, and how do we do that? How does our culture teach us to do that? Oh, well, we get out our phone, we find a meme that, that matches what we believe, we post it, and we press, you know, press send or press post, and we're like, ah, got him. Did something really good today. We feel pretty good about ourselves because we put on a Facebook post. 
And when we do that, it's like we feel morally superior. Actually, there's a lot of non-Christians out there who feel morally superior to people in the church, to the church, let's say, because they posted something on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram, right? I have friends who, who aren't Christians by any means. We, we talk through this stuff sometimes, and, and they stand for all this stuff. They, and, and the stuff that they stand for isn't necessarily bad, right? It's, just, it's good, but the way that they show it is by posting all this stuff all the time. And those are the same people that, that look down on the church saying, you don't believe what I believe, which makes me morally superior to you. That's what our society, that's how our society views the church. But here at Grace, we don't just believe that we should love people. We actually do something. Because that's what Jesus has called us to do. Why? I mean, why do we do that? It's because 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us to in this story. Right? This is what Jesus is telling us to do. That's why we fully fund two orphanages on the other side of the world. Many of those kids who have experienced poverty, poverty that, has not, that doesn't even come close to anything that anybody's experienced here in the United States. Right? We, when we did that, we just didn't just write a check saying, oh, man, you know, we feel for these kids. We need to, we need to stand for them. We need to stand for, for justice. We don't just don't write a check. Oh, I feel good about myself now. You know, I'll post a picture on Facebook. You know, we, didn't, we don't do that. No, we went there. We went. We bought the property. We, we built the buildings. Then when we found out we could house more kids, we tore those buildings down and built other buildings in their place. This week, we have... We feed them for the last, really, for the last 15 years or so. We feed them, we clothe them, we take care of their health, we educate them throughout their, throughout their entire childhood. Some of you guys have been able to visit. See, I've walked through trash dumps in Thailand with people who are living in trash, literally living in trash, who haven't had meals in weeks, something that, that nobody in the United States really deals with at all. I've been where there's just thousands of people everywhere. And we, our church, we have fed those people. We give them food. A right, couple, couple months ago, we uh, talked about the Burmese boys, that, like the re Burmese refugee boys that were, that were playing in the sand. Um, we showed you some pictures, and, uh, and they hit a landmine there, because right, it wasn't, you know, didn't live in a safe area, and, and uh, it, you know, it exploded, messed up a bunch of them. And then the hospitals, remember, they're like on their deathbed, you know, fighting for life. And the hospitals were kicking them out because they, they didn't have any money to pay. Because that's how the real world works. Not here in our comfortable, nice little country. <laughs> All right, but the real world out there. And so what do we do as a church? Well, we go in as a church family and we pay for their hospital uh, bills so they can stay there. And they're, now they're, they're recovered and they've had some things, you know, some arms and legs and stuff amputated, but, but they're going to live. So we directly fund an orphanage in, in Central African Republic. We, we help fund youth camps in Thailand, Kenya, Philippines, Pakistan, and Cambodia. Uh, just this past summer, we helped fund an organization that we are very um, connected with uh, that had 225,000 campers, kids that can't afford anything. They pay for everything. Uh, 200 and, over 225,000 campers go through their summer camps in those countries. Right? Out of those kids, we've had 93,932 kids of, of those kids decided that for the first time in their lives, they're going to follow Jesus. See, everything that we do is always tied to loving our neighbors and helping them find Jesus because that is the most important thing that we could possibly do. It's not just giving them a meal. So it's not just providing them summer camp so they can experience that as a kid. It's about helping them find Jesus. 
Locally, we help people every week with food. I think there's a lot of things people don't understand. We help people every week with food. We come together. We help people in our church family with, with bills when they go through hard times, when they lose their job. Uh, we have a divorce care group that helps people who are going through divorce. We have an addictions group called Life Support that helps people who are going through addictions. By the way, we're trying. That's at, that's at the Fremont campus. We're trying to get one here at the Tiffin campus. And the only thing we're short on is leadership. Is someone who wants to take that on, someone who wants to run that group on Thursday nights. It's the only thing we're waiting on. So if you're interested, please let me know because I think that's one of our most important ministries that we could possibly do. That's why we support Heartbeat Hope Medical and Tiffin who help hundreds of women in our area go through crisis pregnancies. Just, uh, just like what AJ was mentioning, just this past month, we had a family in our church who had a couple trailers that were honestly not livable uh, by any means, and, but they were living there, and they didn't have enough money to, to move the trailers or move out of the trailers, and so what did we do? We, we went in, in as a church family. Some of you guys were there. We, we helped move them to a new place, and then we went and we tore down both of their trailers um, just, just to get rid of them, just to get rid of the problem. Not like fun work, dirty, nasty work. Right? But we as a church family, we went and did something. See, unlike most people in our culture, right, we as a church, or at least this is how we're supposed to be, we as a church, we actually do something. Now, are we perfect in loving people? No. I mean, not even close. We don't even come close to fulfilling you know, the second most important rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every single one of us falls short of that. I mean, I look at my life. Yeah, I want to. I want to love people. I want to, I want to show people love. You know, I, I, I wish I would, but I don't, if I'm honest with myself. See, when Jesus said, if you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and if you love your neighbor yeah, sure, you're good to go. You, you, yeah, you, you'll be in heaven. You know what he knew? He knew that that was impossible for us to do. Sure, we could do some stuff. That's what we as a church do. That's what we are called to do as a church. And it really, part of me, it just kind of drives me nuts where there's just a bunch of people out there in our culture who point at the church and say, oh, you don't stand for what I stand for. You guys don't, don't do anything because they don't know what we do. And then they turn around, they don't do anything except for post, post something. You know, but Jesus, when he's saying this, he knew that it was impossible for us to do this. It was impossible for us to love our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. And it was impossible for us to truly, perfectly love our neighbor. There is no chance of reaching his standard. See, I talk to people all the time. And, and a lot of times, you know, just straight up ask them, like, so if you were to die, you know, Tonight, on your way home from work or wherever it might be, you know, how do you know you would go to heaven? And a lot of people, they're like, yeah, yeah, I've, you know, I would go to heaven because, because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. That's like 90% of the answers that I get. You know, I love my neighbor. I love God. I like the idea of God. Me, me and God, we're cool. And, uh, you know, and I, and, and I love my neighbor. But I'm not perfect, but, but, I'm, but I'm pretty good. See, people think that's what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not his point. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should do good. 
Like doing good is what, is what you should do, but the amount of good that you do is so pathetic. It doesn't even come close to God's standard. The amount of good that I do is so pathetic, it doesn't even come close to God's standard. Like God doesn't ever look down at us and go, whoa, whoa, that is so good, <laughs> right? Like I am so impressed with your goodness. Wow, all right, great job. He doesn't do that, all right? That, do- that never happens, that doesn't happen. Right? It, the Bible tells us that, that even our good things, like the best things in life that we do, like the most moral, you know, righteous things that we could possibly do, the Bible says God looks down at those and he, he views them as, as dirty, filthy, nasty rags compared to him. So that's the whole point of why Jesus came. That's why Jesus is here that day, is to get them to understand you can't do that. And I think the lawyer, or the, the religious guy, the lawyer, I think he got this. I think he understood that. I think that's why he asked the second question. Like, well, okay, okay, I can't, I can't do this all, but so who's my waiver? What's the minimum amount that I got to do? See, in a few short months after this conversation, Jesus, he voluntarily died for us. Now, why did he have to die? I mean, some of us, what's the big deal? Why can't he just, why can't he just forgive everybody? It's because we only look at the all-loving part, and we like to ignore the just part of God. We like to ignore the, the reality that, that God is, is um, perfectly just. And that means when we do wrong, it has to be paid for. That's what justice is, okay? Somebody, somebody breaks the law, all right? Somebody breaks God's law. Somebody breaks, you know, the, the law, you get punished. That's what justice is. And that is a problem for every single one of us, including myself, and so what did Jesus do? He voluntarily died for every single one of us so that we don't have to pay for all the things that we've ever done wrong ourselves because he's saying, he's saying I took that, I paid for that. And when he died on the cross, when he, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for that, he really accomplished two things. Number one, he satisfied his justice, which was a problem for us, and his wrath that was righteous and good and right. But he also satisfied his love for us which he didn't have to do. And now he says, yeah, each one of us, we live our life, no matter how short or how long it is, we're not guaranteed any time. Each one of us have a choice. So a lot of people, they choose to push it off, like, ah, yeah, I'll worry about that when I'm older, when I'm out of this life situation, or, you know, when I'll, I'll figure that out some other time. Or some people, you know, they just think, I don't, I don't want Jesus. The Bible says what we're doing is when we're choosing that is where when we choose to put it off or we, we choose to reject Jesus, what we're basically saying is, hey, I don't want to do life with Jesus. I want to do life on my own and in eternity. That's exactly what we get. Because the Bible says hell is a real place. It's a place apart from God. Actually, Jesus talked a heck of a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. And God wants a real relationship with you. Our relationship's two-way street. We get that. Right? Like, we both have to pick each other. That's the same thing with God. Like, God has to choose to have a relationship with us. we got to choose to have a relationship with God. The Bible tells us God's already there. All right? God's already chosen us. He's already waiting. He's like, hey, I'm here. I want that relationship with you. You don't understand. You are designed for a relationship with me. God is begging for us to have a relationship with him. But too many of us, we go through life, we're so distracted by all this stuff, by all this culture and all these things in the world. And we keep putting it off, or we just say, I don't, I don't want to do it my way. Really what we're choosing is pushing God out of the side and choosing to answer for everything that we've ever done wrong ourselves. And so it's really the age-old question, right? 
how do I get to heaven or what do I have to do to get to heaven? The answer is you don't, there's nothing you can do. There's not an amount of good you can do. You can't love people enough and you can't love God enough. But the Bible says how you get to heaven is all you have to do is you have to have a relationship with God. You have to start a relationship with God, meaning you can have that answer. You can have that answered today. And the way we do that, the Bible says, is, is simple. And it's not, it doesn't make it complicated. It's not trying to hide some hidden thing, like some mysterious, it's not, it's not what it is. God's saying all you have to do is have a, is have a, a conversation with God where you got to realize a couple things, though. Number one, you got to realize that you need saving. Now, you're not perfect. You got issues, that there's not any amount of good that you could do to earn your way to God, to impress God. You got to realize that. Number two, you got to accept that Jesus came down, he died on the cross, the only perfect sacrifice, lived a perfect life. We were the ones, we ended up killing him a horrible, horrible way. And when he did that, the Bible says he was the perfect sacrifice, that he took on everything, all the, the sins, all the wrong things that we've ever done. He took on himself and he paid for them, meaning he paid for everything that we've ever done wrong. He paid himself. Did he have to do that? No. He did that because for some reason, he loves us that much. And that cost him something. The Bible says you just got to realize that you need savings and you got to accept that gift from him. You got to start that relationship. You got to invite him into your life. You got you to ask him to be a part of your life. That's what you have to do. And that could be a five-minute conversation. I would encourage everyone in this room, and I know some, a lot of you guys have, and I know there's a lot of you guys who've never started that, that journey or started that relationship. And I would encourage you, I would beg you, do it today. Like, why wait? Do it this afternoon. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed this afternoon. It's not between you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your best friend, you know, you, you and me. It's not between any of us. It's only between you and God. Now I encourage you to do that. Do that before you leave the room. It's the most important decision you ever make in your entire life is by asking for that relationship with him. And those of us who are Christians, we've done that at some point in our life. We just need to be reminded that, number one, we are to love people. But even more important than that, we are to love God. Like what this guy says, with all our strength, soul, mind, and heart. If you dig down deep, actually, you don't even have to dig down deep. You dig down surface level, <laughs> you'll realize that we do not do that. And we don't even come close. Let's pray. God, we, um, God, help us to love people the way of you, that you have called us to love people. And if there's anybody in this room, Lord, that doesn't know you, we ask that they would take care of that today. They don't have to know everything. They don't have to have all their, answers question, or all their questions answered. God, help them to take care of that today. And Lord, for us, those of us who, who do know you, we ask that uh, they would help us to love those around us. Help us to show love, not just talk about it like our culture does so often, but, but to actually show love, to actually do something. And God, even more importantly than that, we ask that you'd help us to love you the way that you called us 
to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.